Welcome to this week's episode of Getting on the Green. I'm really excited to welcome in our guest for this week, Jeff Beals. Jeff is a speaker, a award-winning author, a sales strategist, and an all-around amazing business-minded person. You might want to consider him as a modern-day renaissance man. So I know he's got a lot to talk to us about, so let's get right into it. All right, so thank you very much for being with us, Jeff. We're, we're thrilled that you're here. I mean, your, your history of uh, teaching and, you know, uh, sending out your knowledge on real estate, um, you know, kind of blows my mind that you can reach so many people. So, I mean, I, I love that you're here. I really appreciate that you're taking the time for us. And I think this is going to be a great podcast. Well, thanks, Craig. It's an honor to be a part of your podcast. I've listened to it. Now I get to be on it. All right. I love it. Um, so the, the topic of this week is success. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what that means, um, both within real estate and outside of real estate and kind of the intricacies within there. So let's start with what is success in general? What, what do you gauge as success? Well, of course, each person defines it for themselves. But when, when, when I look at it, I think of two things. Uh, right off the top of the bat. First of all, success is doing something that you love and, and doing it very well. I always think that has to, to come first uh, because um, if, if you're not truly loving things, you're kind of like living a, a life of indentured servitude even if you happen to be making a lot of money. Speaking of money, I think money is definitely in the top three or four uh, because uh, if you're going to be doing something for 8, 10, 12 hours a day, uh, you might as well be uh, compensated for it fairly well. And then I suppose other people uh, would, you know, would probably say things like, uh, does it have an impact on uh, the good of the community, society, humanity? Are you improving other people's lives? And, and if you can do all of those things, do something you love and do it very well, while making good money and making the world a better place, gosh, what more is there? That's success probably to me. I absolutely agree with that. So let me get let me gauge your thought on. Um, so you said doing something that you love. I personally, um, instead of I guess I, I I went to school and studied business. You know, I always thought I was going to take over um, my mom's company. She's a ship broker. That was always you know the path that was laid before me. Clearly, that's not the path I went down. Um, I think that would have at the time made me the most money. But I chose to follow my passion, which was golf. So I got into golf, I pursued that, and you know, I decided eventually that it was um, time to change that, but I pursued what I love. What would you say is kind of the trade-off between doing the thing you love, making the, the lifestyle and the money that uh, you envision for yourself? So like, where, where would you kind of give that trade-off? You know, is it like a 50-50, you know, as long as you're making the money to have the lifestyle that you want, then, you know, keep going or, you know, where would you draw that line? Yeah, I think that's uh, one of those situations where you, you imagine the, uh, the blind lady of justice holding the scales, right? And uh, for each person, uh, the ratio is going to be a little bit different. I think the thing that guys like you and I have going for us, uh, because we um, have, you know, we're born into a, a United States and, uh, and a good family and uh, have an education. You can do probably 
about two or three thousand different jobs, right? I, I, I'm probably qualified to do thousands of different jobs and thousands of different imaginable industries, as are you, Craig. And so what you, what you do is you think to yourself, okay, um, what is something among those thousand or two thousand things that I am blessedly qualified to do that would really get me going and be interesting enough to sustain my passion for that job for an extended period of time? Then, okay, so once something falls into to that category, then you can look at the money thing. And you say to yourself, all right, I want to make at least uh, X number of dollars to have Y lifestyle that has always appealed to me. Or um, I really want to have a profession where there is perhaps no limit to my income because of the way I'm compensated or perhaps I'm the, the owner of the company or whatever the case may be. And you, you throw all of that stuff uh, into the mix and then you kind of determine your own priorities. For me personally, it has always been important to uh, uh, to not have a limit on my income. Well, I shouldn't say always because in the early part of my career, I was in a definitive salary position. Uh, but even back in those days, I always envisioned myself doing something later on where there'd be no limit to my income, no ceiling on my income. But like you, if I wanted to go just the money route, I could probably be making three, four, five, ten times what I'm making right now, but my life would be hell. Um, I, I wouldn't be happy. I'd probably see my kids rarely. Um, right now, I think I found a, a place where I work in commercial real estate. I own a, a business that does sales, consulting, and training. It does really well. Um, uh, could you make more? Yeah, that's the goal. Uh, but I'm having a blast doing it, and I'm able to do um, financially the things that I want to do. So, so one uh, phrase that you use that I really liked is sustained passion. I like that because you hear about these people and even, I mean, I'm guilty of the same thing. I get an idea. I'm all for it. Let's do it. Let's, let's, you know, start right now. I'm not even going to wait until the morning to do it. Let's do it right now. Gung ho. Three weeks later, you're like, eh, okay, whatever. Do, am I still doing this? I guess, whatever. So sustained passion. I, I really like that, uh, that term because Although I think about it, I, I didn't actually have like a term in my in my head to, you know, actually name that. So I, I really like that. And it's something to kind of hold on to um, when you're deciding, when you're putting that ratio together, like you were saying, the time, the money, this and that, that you're putting together to find that equation that makes you happy and that you're willing to do. I think sustained passion or finding something that will have a sustained passion is kind of crucial to that equation or else it'll all fall apart. What does it matter if you're, you know, miserable? Like you said, living in hell, you can make 10 times more, but you'd be miserable not seeing your kids. So it makes perfect sense. All right, so what is success in real estate? If you can kind of twist what you said into the real estate world. Well, I think it's very similar. Um, you know, if you're a real estate broker, you want to not only be making a lot of money, which you know most people go into a risky profession like real estate brokerage, where there are no guarantees, hundred percent commission, commission only. Um, they, they they usually have some sort of economic driver um, as as the motivator. But when it comes to the qualitative stuff, it probably means are you focusing on the subset of commercial real estate that fascinates you? Um, in other words, if you're a retail guy, are you doing retail? If you're an industrial gal, are you doing industrial? And are you emerging yourself in the industrial subsector um, and, and, and making it a passion? Meanwhile, 
um, do you really identify with the local geographic market where you do real estate? Uh, real estate is the ultimate tangible industry, right? You can't pick up land and move it anywhere. And while uh, those of us who do commercial real estate probably dabble in other parts of the country, ultimately uh, our work typically revolves around and centers on one metropolitan marketplace. Do you love that metropolitan area? Do you identify with it? Do you take joy in, in watching the built environment of that metro area grow and improve and flourish? Um, are you intertwined with the uh, political and the economic development efforts because commercial real estate really is a huge driver for those sorts of things? So, so I think as a commercial real estate broker, if it's just about the money, um, and, and, and all that sort of thing. Go get a different sales job where they give you a hefty base uh, and, and, and a paid-for company car, right? Um, if it's just the money, do that. No, you're going to do commercial real estate because, yes, you do want an open end to your income, but you want to do something that's fascinating and tangibly related to the place where you choose to live. All right, so I was actually going to ask you a question about uh – like the the region or the ge geographical differences between success but let me touch on something first and then i want to come back to that can you explain what a cap rate is well i think i think of a cap rate as the way we value real estate i'm not going to go into the uh, mathematical formula okay but i think a lot of people don't realize that uh, cap rates carry with them uh, more emotion than a cold, logical, mathematical formula would lead you to believe, right? Because sometimes you could be in one market and say, oh, this is a six cap, oh, great deal, another market, that's an eight cap, eh. you know what I mean? It just depends on, on where you are. And, and a, I would say a cap rate, more than just showing us how we determine the value of, of what commercial real estate is, a cap rate allows us to prioritize our feelings and emotions, right? It's just like money allows us to keep score. Um, of our successes and, and, and express our competitive nature quantitatively. A cap rate does the same thing about what we care about, what we value, and what our emotions are, especially when it's wrapped up into a building or a piece of land. Well, incredible answer. So that will lead me right back into what I was uh, going to ask you about. Um, is a regional or a geographical di uh, difference between one person and another, does that create a different definition for success? For instance, like you said, if I'm selling a six cap in Miami, is that going to be the same thing as a six cap in the middle of, you know, Nebraska? You know, is that, is that the same success or, you know, what? Yeah, markets, markets are different, uh, but people are similar insofar as human nature is the same regardless of what country uh, you live in or, or where you might live within one, one country. And in my work, um, I have the great privilege of uh, serving client companies in all parts of the United States in the very biggest markets and some pretty small ones as well. I've also had the privilege of working with client companies in multiple nations of different continents. And yeah, there are little differences. I mean, uh, you know, some people will uh, have different nomenclature for, for a building just uh, the other day. Uh, we were having this fun conversation. Um, I live in Omaha, Nebraska, and if there is a long, single-story house, we call it a ranch. We call it a ranch-style house. And the person I was talking to from Seattle calls it a rambler. 
that not a ranch, it's a rambler. And I said, that's interesting because a really big ranch house in my market is called a rambling ranch. And so there are little differences like that when you go from one marketplace to the other. But people are people are people. Humans are humans, and human nature never changes. And ultimately, I think success is the same whether you are uh, in South Beach or whether you are in a, in a, a cornfield in, in Nebraska. <laughs> I don't live in a cornfield, but I do happen to live in Nebraska. And ultimately, success probably means you're happy, you're doing something meaningful, you're making the world a better place, and you're making it a, far, a fair profit in the process. Okay, so I feel like I've asked this question to basically every one of my guests because I only started this podcast like six months ago or so. How has COVID affected success? How has COVID affected real estate? You know, what, how, what is COVID doing to our world that we're dealing with every day? Yeah, and, and that's a hard question to answer quickly because COVID-19 uh, pandemic has been one of the transformational historical events of this generation. You know, uh, people my parents' age, I'm, I'm 51 years old, I was born in 1969, and people of my parents' generation will always say, where were you when you heard about Kennedy's assassination um, in uh, 1963, right? Because it was one of those moments that, that uh, made time stop in its tracks. Uh, for people that are of my generation, sometimes they will say, where were you when you first heard about the plane flying into the, the tower during 9-11? Because it was a moment that stood in its tracks. And and uh, I don't know if there was one moment that stands uh, that makes time stand in its tracks with COVID-19, but it will definitely be one of those transformational events in history. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things when... Uh, college students of 20, 30, 50 years from now are talking about things. There will be references to pre-pandemic, post-pandemic, whatever, just like we say pre-9-11, post-9-11, whatever. That said, the pandemic has had uh, huge effects on business, understatement of the, of the program. But one of the biggest effects it has had has been to generate unnecessary fear. Um, so much of the decision-making, good and bad, that has occurred during the pandemic has been because of fear. And a lot of people have deprived themselves of a lot of money and enjoyment because of fear. That's not to take anything away from the seriousness of this pandemic. Um, obviously, as of uh, August 18th, when we're uh, recording this, uh, more than 170,000 people have died. But I think because it is such a dramatic event and has perhaps been conveniently sensationalized by media companies that are trying to attract eardrums, eyeballs, and, and mouse clicks, um, a, a lot of people have put themselves on an unnecessary life probation this year. And that personal uh, choice probation has caused a lot of deals not to be done, a lot of money not to be made, and a lot of joy not to be had. I think um, the challenge for professionals going forward as we live out the rest of this pandemic, God only knows how long it'll last. God only knows how effective some um, hope for vaccine will be. So as we live out <clears throat> the days and, and months and years of, the, of this pandemic and the, the lingering effects of it, we have to remember not to let anything slow us down. And we have to remember not to allow any external event to be an excuse for us to not reach our goals and do what we were meant to do. Obviously, or I assume nobody knew that COVID was coming. Um, 
So how often should somebody gauge what they're doing, assess and adjust their either outlook or their, I guess, ideas or reality of success? Because um, obviously with COVID, you know, success now is probably different from success then. For, I, I know for restaurants, you know, just staying alive is success for them during COVID, where before if you were, you know, that was much different. So um, how often should somebody be assessing themselves, their company, whatever, and adjusting those outlooks? Well, I think COVID has taught us to expect the unexpected. And, um, you know, if you look out through uh, the course of history, um, people regularly get surprised by things after being lulled into uh, uh, a false sense of security or uh, almost like a little bit of sleep, if you will. For instance, um, when uh, the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor in December of 1941, it came as a surprise uh, to the sailors and airmen who were stationed there. Um, you know, so it's easy for us to, to find ourselves surprised or, or, or getting complacent. And I think what, what COVID has taught us is that anything could happen at any time. Is there going to be something, Craig, during your career that's worse than COVID-19? I hope not. I'm not sure what it would be. Uh, but there could be, right? There could be. And so... So I, when I when I think about what what I've learned from this pandemic, it's uh, number one. I think that people, families, and companies need to make sure they're watching their long term resources, um, making sure they have enough liquid assets like cash and things like that. Because uh, there are a lot of companies that were doing very well um, and uh, and kind of flying high, if you will, and they're not going to make it because they just didn't have. Um, enough real assets or enough liquidity behind them to get through this crisis. Um, I think the other thing is that we need to be prepared for unforeseen contingencies. Here, I'm a guy who reads uh, the news every day, and, and I read uh, news of varying um, subject matters, if you will. Like, I read the global politics stuff. I read what's happening in other countries. I, I read some science and technology news every once in a while. And, and I remember reading uh, in the Wall Street Journal about uh, the, back they used to call it the Wuhan mystery virus, the mysterious virus from Wuhan. I remember reading that in early January, maybe even late December, just early in the year, and being fascinated with it as I read it, and remember thinking, oh, I'm sure that's going to make its way to the United States and we're going to have to deal with that. But even as I was reading that every day, uh, even up to a week before things got crazy here in the United States. I never dreamed that state and local uh, governments would forcibly compel uh, businesses to close their doors. And, and I never dreamt that uh, six months after the pandemic started that uh, we would still have mask mandates and uh, sports seasons would be, would be canceled and uh, many uh, school-age children wouldn't be allowed to go to school. So these are things that, that caught me blindsided. And I like to think that I'm a pretty with it, with it sort of guy that can envision scenarios and can see what's coming. I've usually been pretty good at that. So I think it's taught me that you have to expect the unexpected and be ready for contingencies. What would you do if? What would you do in the case of? And I think the final thing is that um, you can look at some of the good that has come out of this pandemic. And for me, one of the great things that has come out of it is it has forced me to diversify my strings of income. I'm doing new things. I'm doing creative things, things I never would have thought of were it not for 
the necessity created by the pandemic. And so I think the other lesson that applies to your question about success in the pandemic is, I think we needed as a society and in many companies to get more creative and uh, and all that sort of thing and, and get less complacent. The pandemic's probably done just that. Yeah, I've heard, um, I watch I watch CNBC a lot because I, I love the stock market. Um, and I don't remember who said it, but I know that they said something along the lines of COVID has caused our technology to boost ourselves in the future. I think they said like five or 10 years. So if we didn't have COVID, we would be basically where we were in, you know, 2020. But because of COVID, we've jumped to where we would have been in like 2025 or 2030 or something along those lines, which is, you know, an interesting concept because, you know, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. And in a capitalist society like this, people want to make money, so they're going to figure out ways to make money. Look at Zoom. Zoom has yeah. taken off, absolutely taken off since the pandemic started. Um, businesses are now analyzing whether or not it's even worth it to have office space. You know, can everybody work from home? Even if we're paying for your office materials, we buy everybody a computer, we buy everybody a printer, office chairs, whatever, this and that. Is it more resourceful and, you know, better on the bottom line to have everybody work from home? So it's, it's interesting how um, COVID has affected that. Um, but Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that, that line about the five to ten years, Craig, is fascinating because um, it, 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 necessity is always the mother of invention. And so uh, it forces you to do some things, which is very, very good. And, you know, in my own personal experience, when uh, things started going to hell in a handbasket in March, um, I remember feeling pretty gloomy uh, and nervous um, about my business. I'm going to end up having more revenue in 2020 than I did in 2019. Who would have imagined? Who would have imagined? But it's because of being forced to do things that I otherwise wouldn't have been visionary enough or was too lazy to do in normal circumstances. Okay, so based on the question that I asked before about uh, adjusting outlooks and progress throughout, um, I guess, our journey of life and careers and successes, should you be bouncing your progress off of somebody else or should you be gauging that totally on your own? So should Craig Merlin be only judging Craig Merlin or should I, you know, ask my boss or my friend or my parents or my spouse about how I'm doing and kind of having them hold me in check slightly? That's a great question, Craig. Um, I will start off by saying only you can be responsible for your own success, um, but you would be foolish not to use other people to help you get there and help you define it. Um, to give you an idea, uh, I have one of the programs that I offer is called the Sales Leader Mastermind. And I have um, uh, 10 heads of sales from 10 different non-competing industries that pay to be with me for a year. I'm the facilitator and the organizer. They go through a mastermind experience, and the whole purpose of it is to act as the personal board of directors for each other. Each of us should have a personal board of directors, whether it's a formalized mastermind group like the one I just described, or whether you do it informally. But I think why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you tap into the expertise, wisdom, and experience of people around you, especially people who care about you and have a vested interest in seeing you succeed. So, yep, yeah, when it's uh, when it's time to actually decide, you're on your own. But in terms of uh, gathering information and advice, you ought to have a lot of people helping you out. 
So I, I've never heard of uh, kind of what you explained, like having kind of a board of directors uh, to keep you in check because realistically, nobody likes being embarrassed. So if you said you're going to do something and you have a bunch of people who you don't exactly know, you know, that you're going to tell them, yeah, I didn't do that or, yep, I failed. You know, I've, I've failed many times in my life. Don't get me wrong, but never once did I love going in front of somebody and saying like, hey, I failed. I failed. Look at me. You know, so that's that's an interesting uh, concept. Did did you create that, or is like where where did you where did you come up with having that concept? Well, I, I created the sales leader mastermind group, but the the idea of the mastermind, as far as I can tell, is traced back to the nineteen thirties. Did you ever hear of that book or read that book, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill? Yeah, I actually I, I haven't read it, but that I've been trying to get it from the Cole Gables Library for a while now and it's checked out. So that is one of my books that I was I've been trying to read for the past couple months, but you know, libraries are closed and the only thing they have is the ebook and I don't exactly want to sit in front of my computer any longer than I have to already uh, reading. So um, but go on, please yeah, explain. Why A very cool concept that you know you help the the bigger picture by uh, growing the individual cogs within it. Um, so, can you describe, if you can, um, and you don't need to release any uh, of your own personal, you know, trade secrets, but um, of the things that you are willing to share with us, um, can you name one or two things that? Uh, a standard person can do to increase their success in whatever they're doing? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really easy question. And it is uh, become obsessed with goal setting and planning. Um, the typical commercial real estate broker, the typical professional in, in the industry does a lousy job of setting detailed, quantitative, measurable, uh, specific goals and then following up and and uh, using those goals as a living, breathing document throughout the year. I started making a commitment to this about 20 years ago, coincidentally, right about the time I got involved in commercial real estate, and, and decided I was going to be a goal guy. And uh, I made detailed goals 
for all parts of my business, professional, and personal life. And uh, I put them at the time down on paper. Uh, and I would have a, a little packet that was in a folder. And I set a, uh, a tickler reminder on my calendar. I think it was the fifth of every month, first of every month, something like that, uh, where I would uh, review those goals. And uh, I would check progress. And if the year was uh, one twelfth over, I, I damn well better be at least one twelfth uh, done with that goal. So I really monitored that. And when I started doing that, um, life really took off for me. And as I work with people, I, I occasionally do some coaching of top producers or uh, of people who run companies, or whatever. I'm shocked by the people who are very good at making sure their company has a thorough, exhaustive, quantitative, measurable set of goals, but they don't do it for themselves. They don't do it for themselves. I'm particularly amazed when I run into someone who has to sell for a living, like a commercial real estate broker who doesn't do it. When, when you only eat what you kill, and uh, you are your only source of motivation, and you don't technically have a boss, uh, for God's sake, make sure you have real good, detailed goals. But don't just make them put them up on the shelf, right? That's what most people do. They, they make the goals and then a year later it's time to make new ones. They blow off the dust, right? <laughs> no, you gotta check them every month and you gotta measure, am I on target? Am I trending ahead? Am I trending behind? And what do I need to do to adjust? Okay, um, so let me get a little bit more intricate into that. Uh, I wasn't planning on asking this, but what are the timeframes of your goals? Because when I first started in real estate, I listened to one of your uh, seminars or videos, whatever it was, and you spoke about goals. And I said, okay, I mean, realistically, that's easy enough. Let me sit down for however long it took me. I did a one page thing of, I personally did a daily, weekly, monthly, like three month, six month and year goal. I didn't, I don't think I did more than a year in advance. Um, but I'm just curious as to what you would suggest to be the timeframes of, because you said check monthly, so obviously having a daily goal and a weekly goal, you know, I don't know how on top of that you can be going monthly. So if that means that I then need to look back on it weekly, which I will admit I have not looked back on my goals weekly, although I know what my weekly goal is, um, I have not checked on it weekly. I've checked on it probably two or three times in the last like six or seven months. So obviously I need to do that better, but I was glad to see that, wow, I achieved most of my goals so far. Obviously not the year long goal because you know it was less than a year ago that I made it, but uh, I'm, I'm interested to hear what timeframes you would suggest uh, to, I guess, the standard person creating a goals list for themselves. I'm glad you asked that because as I was talking, I was just assuming annual goals um, as I was kind of explaining some of my thoughts on goals. And in my opinion, annual goals uh, for most people are the most important and most useful forms of goals. However, if you are very young in uh, your career, and particularly if you are new in your profession, so something that you could relate to, Craig, let's say you were a brand new commercial real estate broker. A brand new commercial real estate broker probably needs to focus more on one month goals uh, because everything is so new, everything is happening so fast, um, coming at them, and it's very difficult for them to process it. If you have been in a job or professional while, and certainly if you are a mid or late career person, I think your one-year goals are the most important in terms of having the most utilitarian value. 
Now that said, I also set five and 10 year goals uh, because I want to know where I'm going to be um, and where I'm going and, and what, the, what the longer term purpose is. And I think you set those five and 10 year goals before you set uh, your one year goals or your one month goals. So you're working backwards? Yeah, yeah, because okay. yeah, you want to know all that stuff to, to build up. The other thing I would say, too, and, and if you went to my, my goal seminar, uh, God bless you, Craig, for prescribing <laughs> it, but, but if you went through it, you might remember that I said, but before you do any of that stuff, every single year, I like people to write down their core values, um, and uh, you know, the core values are the things that they stand for and compromise on, and I also like them, some people think this is a little bit cheesy uh but I, I like them to write down some of your life dreams even the uh far-fetched ones because i think it puts you in a good mental state to be a good goal creator so dreams and core values then you look at your five and ten year goals then you do your most important most utilitarian thing which are one year goals and then you either just be obsessed with monthly or weekly monitoring of those annual goals or you go ahead and make uh, monthly goals if you feel that that would be useful for you. Okay, so um, weekly goals obviously could change from week to week. How often are you adjusting a five-year goal or a three-year goal or a one-year goal? Uh, is it every month you're going to tweak it or is it, you know, how, how often would you suggest changing that? When looking at five and ten-year goals, I probably only really look serious at those probably about once, maybe twice a year. And I don't change them too much. Um, because uh, for some reason, uh, I typically uh, have been somewhat steady and consistent in the last. Oh, over the most of my career, I've been I've pretty been pretty steady and consistent. I've had a couple of times where I've made some significant career change, which have altered the further out goals somewhat substantially. But right now, for the last ten years, I have been in this business where while still doing commercial real estate, a profession I will always be involved in and always love, most of my time and income comes from doing sales, teaching, consulting, uh, and professional speaking. I see that as something I will do for years and years. Like I told you earlier, I'm 51 years old. I'll probably be doing this in my mid-70s, okay? And so so I'm probably not looking at too much more than a 25-year goal max because at that point I'll probably just like, you know, be a – I'll be gardening and laying by the pool. <laughs> I'm still around, um, but but uh, uh, but so so I so I really think in terms of you know five ten is most important, and I'm probably not going to go past twenty five because twenty five years from now I'll almost surely be um, probably mostly retired. I would think. Um, so 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 you just kind of got to see what's right for yourself. I think your five and your ten goal your goals keep you on target. They stretch you a little bit. Um, they're useful for making sure that you make your one-year goals as effective as possible. Um, but sometimes, you know, your personality changes. I mean, 20 years ago, when I got in, uh, I came into commercial real estate at the time, believe it or not, I had been working as a dean of student affairs at a private college. Um, and one of the biggest things I did in that role was new student recruitment. So I was a sales guy, uh, even though I was also administering you know, financial aid and registration and counseling and all those other things we do for students at a college. Um, but I was restless in that job. I was bored in that job. I wanted the profit motive, so I switched to commercial real estate. Okay, radical change, right? Yes. Okay, but okay. But since then, I've, I've always figured commercial real estate is probably going to be part of my career forever. And then about 10 years ago, 10 to 12 years ago, I really 
decided I loved the teaching and the helping people and all that sort of thing. And I realized there was a way to make good money doing that. So it just kind of evolved. It, it just kind of, your longer stuff evolves as your interests evolve. It's, it's interesting that you say that because, I mean, the more of these podcasts that I do, um, and I've mentioned it, so if, uh, you know, the listeners know that, you know, my career path has certainly gone along that same path. It's evolved. I never would have said that I would have been in real estate. I, I wouldn't have a couple of years ago, you know, I, I, but I'm willing to accept change and work with it and try and find the most efficient way to be happy and successful. Um, so it, it's interesting that, again, another guest kind of says, yeah, I somewhat fell into this and I realized that I loved it and I became a success in it. Uh, so that's, it's cool to hear um, that if you don't know exactly what you want to do, that you're still, you know, in a good track for success because you'll probably find that passion eventually in whatever you do as long as you keep doing something. Absolutely. Yeah, I think you, I think you nailed there exactly. And, and a lot of that implies uh, the right kind of healthy attitude, right? The person who has the, uh, the can-do optimistic attitude usually is the person who uh, not only does well but uh, has a great deal of enjoyment along the way. So you mentioned your uh, basically your your biggest suggestion for somebody to increase their success would be to set goals. Now we'll get into more of a personal thing for you. Is there anything that you haven't done or wished had you have done or are looking to do currently that would increase your success? Um, you know, even if even if it's has to do with goals, you know, with me, I set my goals. I followed your suggestion, but I haven't checked up on my goals like you suggested. So I wish I did that more to keep myself, you know, on that line. So I want to hear your opinion on what you wish you had done, are going to do this and that um, when it comes to increasing your success. Yeah, that's a really good question because the answer just popped into my head instantly. And, uh, and it is something that, that has been my Achilles heel uh, since I was a kid, and that is I have a natural tendency to procrastinate. Um, I mean, even to this day, um, I could be about ready to go on stage in uh, a couple few hours in front of 2,000 people, and I could be thinking, yeah, maybe I had to like, tinker with the PowerPoint a little bit more. <laughs> you know? And uh, I, I'm just, that, that, has been, that has been my personal scourge. Uh, is to try and get over the, the habit of procrastination. But I guess to speak more broadly, um, you know, I said earlier that the most important thing that you do if you want to really generate a lot of success is to be a goal setter. Along those lines, I think one other thing I think I could say that, that has really helped me a lot is uh, I'm a big believer that every professional needs to understand and follow three words in particular. And those words are responsibility, authority, and accountability. Uh, basically, every professional, every human has responsibility uh, to uh, make decisions and uh, do the things that are important to himself or herself. But then, thankfully, we all have the authority to carry out that responsibility. But with that authority comes accountability. And we are all 100% accountable uh, for everything we do, good or bad. And I think one of the big problems we have in the United States right now, and perhaps in most places of the world, is I see a, a general lack of a personal accountability. You know, uh, Craig, earlier I told you I used to be a college dean um, in a previous life. And one of the things I would always tell the students when I was preaching about this 
responsibility or accountability stuff would be like, okay, let's say, let's say uh, you get an A on a test, um, but you really didn't study that hard, and uh, um, and, it, and it's just you're naturally gifted, and it's your favorite subject, so it's easy to do. And someone says, hey, congratulations on that A. You should say thank you and accept the credit because accountable people do just that. Uh, then I said another scenario is let's say uh, you uh, have a stickler for a professor and he docks you if you're even a minute late. But the reason that you were late was that you got stuck behind a railroad crossing and the train just parked there for a long time. Whose fault is it? Um, and, of course, the accountable person says 100% mine because I should have left an hour earlier. Even if that is a ridiculous, farcical thing, you always take that responsibility and have that accountability. So I think those types of people tend to do very well in life. Interesting. Um, so on a slightly different note, um, so we know you're a teacher, a, 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 a speaker, uh, somebody who kind of goes into businesses and kind of tells them how to sell better or more efficiently, be better at what they do. So how would you say teaching has affected your understanding of the subject matter? Because for me, when I was a golf professional, I would teach people. I would find things in my own swing and in the swing mechanics that I didn't know before when I was teaching somebody else. And I'd be like, oh, wow, this works amazing. Or for instance, when I'm trying to teach somebody in one manner, and then I say, wait, what if I say the words blah, blah, blah in a different manner, saying the same thing, but technically different words that clicks better in somebody else's mind or in my mind. So how would you say teaching has helped you to, I guess, better your understanding and your success within your subject matter? I think your, your question uh, implies two different answers. And, and one of them is uh, related to a saying that the Boy Scouts have long used, and that is, you don't know it until you've taught it. You don't know it until you've taught it. And that's essentially what you were saying. Um, as a golf pro, uh, evaluating and improving your own swing. You would have never known that. You would have never detected that had you not been someone who spent a lot of time teaching others. So I always say to professionals, whether they're in sales or anything else, if you really want to get good, if you really want to excel at your craft, at your profession, do everything you can to teach, coach, and mentor other people. For the more you do it, the better you get at it. Um, I think uh, about the time... Um, I've been in commercial real estate for all of one year and through a couple of random unlikely events and partly because of my previous background in higher education administration, I ended up teaching, becoming an, an adjunct uh, teacher of real estate uh, in the business college at our local university for seven years. And, uh, and I, I still think back to how much more I learned in real estate doing that uh, than I did taking the licensure classes and, and doing it for a year because you don't know it until you've taught it. The other thing that your question applies uh, is uh, the, the connection between teaching and sales. I, I've always felt that a person who is outstanding as a sales professional, like a commercial real estate broker, sees themselves as a teacher, mentor, and coach. So in other words, my job is not to just go up to some poor, unsuspecting victim, uh, mentally bludgeon them and get them to uh, spend money on some commercial uh, property just to my commission benefit. Now, my job is to 
figure out everything that is important and relevant to that person and then teach them, coach them, show them, mentor them the way to something that helps solve all of their goals and makes them immensely happy. And in the meantime, I get paid one time and then because they love me so much and are so grateful for everything I did, they will be a client who pays me repeatedly for the rest of my career. So sales professionals, no matter what they do, are always coaches and teachers. It's interesting because um, that leads me into another question that I had, um, which is the difference between practical and theoretical learning. So, I mean, although I didn't think that those two questions were necessarily linked, the more you spoke about it, the more I, you know, those were, that question is much farther down my list than it should have been. It should have been the next question. Uh, so what, what would you say is the biggest difference between that practical learning, for instance, you know, actually going out there and doing, maybe failing, but doing, um, and the theoretical learning, you know, reading a book or listening to somebody else who had that failure or, you know, that success be it. out there that you know are the theoretical types and only the theoretical types well those are the people that tend to get locked up in the ivory tower and uh, <laughs> and become college professors right I've always been I've always gotten a kick especially as a guy who's dabbled in higher education for many many years uh, as, as a career I've always gotten a kick out of people that tell you everything you should do and they, they've never done it they've only studied it but on the other hand I think there's a big weakness in only being that person who believes in uh, and doing the uh, field work or the, the hands-on work. All that stuff goes together. If we're going to get into pedagogy, uh, what is it, uh, uh, ped 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 I don't know, I can't say the word all of a sudden, the study of how people learn. I'm having a <laughs> <It's okay>. um, <laughs> There, are, there are, are three ways we learn, right? We learn with our hands by touching and doing. Mm -hmm. uh, audio learners learn with their ears and visual learners learn with their eyes. We all learn all three ways, but each of us usually preferences one of those three above the other two. Well, I don't think any of us learn things as well as we possibly can if we don't learn through all of the, 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 the ways that are at our disposal. And uh, so I think the theoretical and the practical are both important. They just have to be synergized. Okay. Is there, do you think that there's like a percentage that you can put on it? Do you think it's like a 50-50 split or there's just no way of really knowing um, what to necessarily focus on? It might depend on the person. Um, you know, it might depend on the personality. You know, I, like for instance, uh, I'm always one of those guys that likes, if I'm learning something new, I like to study it in a classical studying way, and then I like to get my hands dirty. Uh, but I have uh, some people I know, as, as you do too, I'm sure, that just go straight to the get dirty uh, part. Um, Maybe, maybe it uh, maybe it uh, depends on the uh, on your approach to assembling things that come in a box that you, that you can ship to your house. Right? Yeah, was, like that's exactly what I was just thinking of. Yeah, I read the manual. I read the manual. Um, I know that's probably not the most manly thing to do, but I, I read this instruction first. My father-in-law, who is a farmer in Minnesota, who could uh, you know probably like build a spaceship out of baling wire and ball bearings, uh, <laughs> just goes and, and gets started and Yeah, it's funny you say that because that's exactly the picture that came into my head when you were speaking of it. And I was like, okay, well, what do I do? I probably lay out all the materials on the floor, 
kind of start reading the directions and then get my hands dirty. And then once I get stuck, I'm like, oh, uh-oh, what did I do? Then I have to go back and, and, you know, check with the manual. And then I keep going and let my own, because I like getting my hands dirty. I like working with my hands, this and that. Um, but, I mean, it's funny to hear, you know, just one other person. And granted, there's, what, 7 billion, billion people in the world, 8 billion, who knows? And just between the two of us, we have totally different ways of doing it. So just imagine the differences between, you know, the other billions of people and, you know, which way they learn and, you know, which way can be the most efficient. So it's interesting. Um, so at what age would you stop learning? Never. Uh, never, ever. In fact, uh, I, I think about all of the, I, I don't want to use this word pejoratively, but I think about all of the elderly people that I have worked with in commercial real estate, um, people who are in their 90s, uh, in some cases, who are still making real estate decisions. And I think people that are capable of, of making real estate decisions when they're when they're that old are people that never, ever, ever stop learning. Um, I think the, uh, the, the day you stop learning is the day you're probably circling the drain of life. It's interesting because obviously I agree with you and I would continually, continually learn and um, there's something to be said about getting certified in a bunch of different ways, but at the same time, sometimes that's just like paying for some letters at the end of your name. If you're not actually learning it, you're just going through the motions. Um, but I'm somebody who preaches, you know, get certified. If you're, not, if you're doing nothing and not getting certified or learning something now, you're wasting your time. You need to be continually doing something to better yourself, whether you're 20 years old or 90 years old, like you said. So I definitely agree with with that, is there a favorite resource or medium that you like to use to either teach or learn yourself? You know, I, as far as my learning, um, when it comes to uh, sales consulting and training, I, I have to I have to know what every one of my competitors uh, is saying. So, pretty much every sales book uh, of some significance that hits the market, I find a way to read that thing. And I'm not the world's fastest reader, so that's not a, that's not a, a small thing for me to, to accomplish. I also read multiple sales articles um, every day because I want to keep on top of that. But I think all of us um, have to also be very aware of the business world, the political world, and the other types of worlds that are happening around us. So I read the Wall Street Journal every single day, uh, probably more than half of the articles. Um, and then I read my local newspaper. But on the local newspaper, I probably only read like maybe maybe four or five articles a day, business articles or something of local interest that might catch me. Um, I do not uh, watch any broadcast television or cable television. And uh, it's not because I'm afraid of political bias, <laughs> uh, but it doesn't matter whether the, uh, the television news leans right or leans left. I find it all to be sensationalized. Uh, and very narrow in um, uh, agenda, like their news agenda is pretty pretty weak, pretty light, and uh, so I find that to be a waste of time. So I, I like to I like to read my news because it's unemotional, and uh, and, and there's there's never a big flashing like this is breaking uh, news, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so I can consume it rationally. But you just have to if, if you're in commercial real estate, and that's your primary focus, like it used to be for me. And, um, uh, and, and to this day, even though I do part-time commercial real estate, I still read my CoStar newsletter every day. Um, I still read, um, 
you know, like I browse like shopping center business and I browse national real estate investor, Heartland Real Estate News and Midwest Real Estate News. But my big priority is I'm reading stuff about the sales profession and I'm keeping up with what's going on in the macro business world. Okay. Um, so how can people learn more from you? Uh, well, you know, you can go to my website, which is jeffbeals.com, and uh, all of the material and contact information is on there. And um, I help, you know, the, the thing I do probably most frequently is sales training programs, either in person or virtually for sales teams. But I speak to conferences, I do consulting, I do coaching, I've got online programs that are available. We're getting busier and, and, and more diversified in our offerings every day. And all of that information uh, to contact you and to find more information about you is going to be under the actual podcast in the information section so listeners can look at that and uh, have an easy access to you. Um, so we have gone over time by a whole lot, which is awesome, which means that we had an abundance of information. Um, I really want to thank you for coming on. I think this was a lot of fun, a lot of information that is going to certainly help me, which, you know, for me, it's, you know, an important part, but I think it'll also help the, uh, the listeners as well. Um, because again, like I said, before we even started this podcast, I'm constantly trying to learn, trying to better educate myself in anything I'm doing, whether, you know, it's being a new father or you know a real estate professional or whatever I'm doing I'm always trying to learn more and be as good as I possibly can because I don't think there's ever a time where you reach that pinnacle where you can't get any better and I think there's always room for for growth and so I really appreciate you kind of um, portraying that information and uh, giving us an, one more resource that we can go to such as your seminars and things like that um to learn more well craig uh first of all i think you're going to be an outstanding father and that uh that uh, little kid is lucky to be entering your family i also know you have thousands of listeners uh, on your podcast and it's an honor for me to uh get a little bit of time with those listeners and to uh, chat with you thank you very much for having me. all right thank you so that's the end of this week's episode of getting on the green Jeff has so much information to give us, and he's such a good resource um, to basically just bounce ideas off of and understand what truly successful professionals do in order to get to their goals. Um, I learned a lot, and throughout what he was talking about, he mentioned uh, the book Think and Grow Rich. I would highly, highly suggest people read that. Um, since we filmed this episode, I've read it. It was awesome. He was definitely correct that there were, you know, one or two chapters that were a little weird. But other than that, um, there was awesome information. It's very inspiring, very insightful. So I would highly suggest you go and read that. It was a quick read. I think I read it in like two or three um, nights. So highly suggested uh, book to take a look at. Um, other than that, we have an awesome guest next week. I don't like giving away too much on who they are, um, but very excited to have them on. Um, very insightful into actual leasing. So it's going to be an interesting episode. So a lot of information to come. And we will see you next time on the green.